Matthew 9. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read, uh, start with verses 1 through 8. It says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So we see in this first story, this man who is paralyzed is brought to Jesus by a group of his friends. The story is told in the other books of the Bible uh, a couple other times. So, so we know that there's a big crowd around Jesus that they couldn't get to Jesus. So they climb on top of the roof of this stranger's house and take a first century jackhammer to the roof and lower their friend uh, to Jesus, Right. And I want you to notice how Mark describes this man. He doesn't describe him uh, as a man in his mid-30s who worked this job, who was a fisherman. He, he really points out the physical need that this man had. Uh, he, the, the identifier uh, that, Mark uses, or that Matthew uses is paralytic. Uh, that is what identifies his life, and that's the need that he has. His life is consumed by this need, and, and they lower him into the room. And I want you to notice what Jesus says first. What does Jesus do? Um, he doesn't heal him at first, right? That's really interesting to me that the obvious need that his friends brought him to Jesus for, uh, Jesus just kind of overlooks it at first and presses into a deeper need, a spiritual need that this man was not right with God. And Jesus deals with that first. It's really interesting to me. And uh, I want to point out one thing here before we move on, a um, uh, really central point that we have to remember as we move forward. Uh, it's that we don't always know what we need. If you're taking notes, that's a, that's a great thing to, to try, and, try and remember. We don't always know what we need. We think we know what we need, right? I, I always think I know what I need at any given moment. I think I want this or I think I need this, but rarely am I really tuned into what I actually need. This man uh, was brought to Jesus, needed physical healing, um, but Jesus dealt with a different need. Um, I think about this from a couple different analogies. So um, think about if, you know, if I had a, a disease that was really weird and rare and had like all these weird symptoms and I hire the w- most world-renowned diagnostician and doctor in the world and I go into the appointment and right as he's about to open his mouth, I interrupt him um, and I say, okay, look, I've been on WebMD this morning and uh, I, I've researched my symptoms a little bit and here's what I think I have. And here's the prescription I think you need to write me. So why don't, why don't you just, let's cut to the chase. Write me the prescription and I'll, I'll get out of your hair. Like, that'd be so dumb, right? It's like he is, like his job, his life is devoted to knowing how to prescribe me uh, the fix for what I needed. Be kind of stupid. Or I think about it from another analogy that happened this week with my niece, Annabelle. Um, she's three years old. She's three, is that right? three years old, and uh, she was cooking banana pudding with uh, her grandmother, my mother-in-law, this week, and uh, Annabelle wanted to put one vanilla wafer in the banana pudding and then eat a vanilla wafer, one in the pudding, and then anybody ever have this problem when it's like you're cooking, it's like you just end up being full by the time you're done with the meal, but she could not understand why my mother-in-law kept saying, okay, you can have one more, 
four is all you get. She was like, no, I want 50 vanilla wafers. Like, why is that a problem that I can't have all the vanilla wafers that I want? And in, in, and in her mind, there's literally no logical reason that she could not have just 50 vanilla wafers right there and then. But in, in my mother-in-law's mind, there's this clear relation to um, overeating on these things and ha- she would feel sick and then she would be really difficult to deal with as a child. And, and so the, uh, the one who knows best uh, restricted some of those uh, things that she wanted. And I was just thinking, man, so often this is my case with God. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the the patient in the doctor's room saying, this is what's wrong with my life. I know how to fix it. God, give me, give me this. This is what I need. Or I, I want something so bad in my life. And I'm like, I just, I need this. This is what I want to make me happy. And, and God says, I, I, I know what you need. That's not what you need. And um, so I want us to remember as, as we think about um, people with needs, us with needs, uh, people in the world that have needs, we have to remember, we, we don't always accurately know what we need. It's just like treating God as a genie in, in a bottle. Um, I don't know if you ever do this, but it, it just, when we come to God with a list of demands, with a list of needs and expectations, it, it's not actually treating God as God. It's treating God as a functional genie in a bottle where we are really the, the God of our lives and we just want him to fulfill our list of demands and needs. We, don't, we aren't open to having God work in our lives in the way that God wants to. So we need to remember that, come to grips with that as we explore this in our own hearts. We'll come back to that point at the end. But the, the big thing I want us to, to see in this first story of the paralytic uh, is that Jesus overlooks an obvious physical need uh, to press into a spiritual need, seems to prioritize the man's spiritual condition over his physical condition. This happens in a lot of other stories where Jesus will just overlook kind of an obvious solution to a physical problem and deal with a, a heart issue. It happens all the time. So Let's, let's look at that. And then the second thing I want to look at, we're going to look at a few more stories. And here's what we're going to do. There are three stories from Matthew 9, 18 through 34. There are three different stories about people who have needs. So what we're going to do is right now, we're at our tables, read through these stories. So um, there's three different sections. You can kind of see them by the headings. I want you to pick one person at your table to kind of read through each story. Or if somebody's had way too much coffee, and they're like, I want to read the whole thing. Like, Feel free to do it. Um, just go for it. Be ambitious. But uh, spend a couple minutes. We're going to read Matthew 9, verse 18 through 34. And I want you to really pay attention while you're reading and listening uh, about what Jesus does and says and doesn't say and doesn't do with the people that he interacts with that have needs. So go ahead and read. Uh, take a couple minutes, and then we'll keep going here in just a minute. Give you a couple more seconds to finish up. All right, so let's bring it back in. Hopefully you, you had a chance to finish up. Uh, so, so what do we notice? What do we see about these five people that are brought to Jesus in these three different instances and how Jesus interacts with them and maybe how it contrasts the first story that we looked at? Um, we don't see any sermons, do we? We don't, we don't see Jesus overlook some of these things and press on to a different need. Uh, we, we don't even see any sort of spiritual guidance or uh, spiritual nugget that Jesus wants to impart in order for them to, to be healed. Um, Jesus only references their faith in two of the stories. And the other ones, it seems like Jesus just kind of takes care of the need. This is really interesting to me that in these stories, uh, on the other hand, Jesus seems to just deal with the need without any context of uh, spiritual help. Um, so I, th- I think this is really interesting that we keep going. I'm going to read two more verses for you. 
You can follow along in uh, chapter 9, 35, and 36. Uh, and this will kind of summarize what we're, what we're trying to look at. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. So Jesus did all of it, right? He went into the synagogues and he taught, and he taught on mountainsides, and he healed the sick, and he created food out of nowhere, and he uh, did all these things. He delivered people from physical oppression and from spiritual oppression. And what we're going to see, and I think what I want us to see today, is that Jesus dealt with people's needs holistically. Uh, Jesus saw people as holistic people. Normally, we get the, get the idea that Jesus cares about our spiritual lives, right? That's kind of a, a given. We talk about that every week. Most of our songs that we sing uh, about God and what God wants for us are all about spiritual things, right? Uh, and, and certainly, that is one of the most central parts of what we do, that Jesus like, died for us and uh, made us right with God so that we could be forgiven. Like, this is a central part of what we believe. But Jesus also really, really cared about the physical condition, the physical needs of people that he encountered. So here's the reality that I think that Jesus portrays for us, that all of a person's needs are fused together. Let me explore this truth for a moment. All of a person's needs are fused together. So let's think about this from the opposite. Let's, let's think about if we said um, all of a person's needs are separate. So what if we said only the spiritual side is important? Only the, the spiritual things about God, those are the things we really need to go after, and the other stuff just doesn't really matter. Um, I think when we do that, we often build a barrier with people to actually meeting that spiritual need in the first place. So the book of James talks about this. James was an early church leader, and he wrote a letter to the early church. He says in chapter 2, verse 16, he says, If one of you says, Go in peace, be warm and be filled, Without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? The love of God is not in that person. So he's kind of saying, in other words, you can't just overlook someone's physical need because you're too concerned with meeting a spiritual or emotional or relational need. You have to deal with the needs. I grew up in a church where this was pretty common. Um, physical uh, help was only a means to an end uh, for the, the real good thing of like telling people about Jesus, which is obviously good, but it was always just this like, it's kind of a waste of time and money unless it accomplishes a deeper spiritual goal. I think when we take this view, we see physical needs or other needs in a person's lives as just a means to an end. Um, it makes the gospel, the message of Jesus, only an idea. Uh, it's all up in the cloud. It's only an abstract belief that, okay, I, I believe that intellectually, but it doesn't really affect our everyday lives in, in other ways. The gospel is still just a message about how to receive eternal life and the meals and the help and the care and the clothes and the community service projects are just ways of gathering an audience uh, for a deeper need. And uh, I, I think so when we, when we focus on just a spiritual need, there's some dangerous things that can happen. Uh, we build barriers to meeting that need in the first place. And it also makes the gospel out just kind of one-sided and only ideological. So uh, that's one side. What if we went the other way and swung the pendulum all to the, the physical need side? without any other um, help. So when, when all we do is meet non-spiritual needs, um, I think we also run into uh, some, some danger. So in Mark 8, Jesus says, what good is it uh, to gain the whole world but lose your soul? A lot of us have heard this, uh, this question before that Jesus asked. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? In other words, what good is it to have all your physical needs and wants and desires in the world met 
but to have a soul that is disconnected from God for eternity. Say that that's totally useless. So um, I often fall into this category as well. Many of us, myself uh, included, I'm very willing sometimes to, to help someone maybe that's experiencing homelessness, uh, to relate to somebody who might be feeling outcast, or, or even just to be a friend to someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, just to be a friend to them. I'm very willing to do those things, but man, sometimes I just lack the courage to take the next step in, in sharing uh, my experience with Jesus. And there's this side of me that just only wants to take care of other needs that don't have to do with Jesus. And I'm, I get scared and cowardly and I don't want to deal or care um, with their spiritual need. I think this practice of only meeting non-spiritual needs is not what Jesus portrayed for us either. So I think the solution, the far better way to do this is to imitate Jesus. If we want to be everyday disciples of Jesus in every way, um, how do we imitate the ways of Jesus? I think we view people as both physical and spiritual and relational and emotional, whole beings, holistic people that have holistic needs. Isn't it crazy to think about the fact that every person that Jesus healed died? Or every person uh, that Jesus gave a meal to, like feeding the 5,000, all those people got hungry for dinner. (laughs) Like, isn't that kind of crazy to think about? Like, why would Jesus waste his time doing all these physical miracles um, if they were just temporary? I think firstly, like we saw in in, um, verse 36, that Jesus had compassion. He loved the people. His love compelled uh, compelled him to do those things. But I think also he saw that their needs were connected, that their physical need in life was connected to their spiritual need for him, and that often those things worked hand in hand. So I don't believe there's such a thing as helping someone physically and neglecting their spiritual needs completely or vice versa. Um, we want to imitate Jesus, to see people's needs as fused together. So um, if that's true, I want to look at two observations um, to kind of bring this down to the ground. Two observations if you're taking notes. So the first one is personal. It's about us individually. Um, the second one is kind of uh, what Jesus wants to use us for. So the first one, observation number one, Jesus wants to restore each of us holistically, but that doesn't always happen the way we think it will. I think that's an observation that I see from these truths that we're working out. Jesus wants to restore and heal us personally. Um, he, he wants to do that holistically, but that doesn't always happen the way we think it should. So we've seen today that, that God cares about our spiritual hearts, right? He wants to be in a relationship, this love relationship with us. That's a deep care of God to have that relationship with his creation. But um, we don't always understand when and how and, and God works in these ways. And I think the, the important thing to keep in mind here is our posture. We have to keep in mind our posture. Because like we said earlier, we, we don't know what we need. So uh, I was talking with my brother-in-law, Luke, this week about how dangerous it is to have unrealistic expectations and how often that just leads to disappointment. Do you ever find yourself in that position where you expect something uh, of someone or something or an experience, and it doesn't live up to it, so you're disappointed. That's kind of a rhythm that I sometimes find myself in. And I think this is the same way with God. When we expect things from God that God has never promised, uh, we only leave disappointed and angry and frustrated with God because he didn't give us those things when God has never promised them in the first place. So we might feel entitled to a, a job or a relationship or to be delivered out of a particular suffering or difficult life experience. When God has never promised that those things would absolutely be realities. God has never promised 
ease of life and comfort just all the way through life. He's never promised that, but he has promised his presence no matter what we go through. God has never promised uh, physical healing every single time, but God still does physically heal. God has never promised uh, financial affluence, uh, but God has promised to provide for our needs. So what do we do if there's this paradox of a God who wants to heal and restore us in a holistic way, but we don't really understand how God works sometimes, what do we do? I think we come to God. We come to Jesus, just like all the people in this story did. That's, that's what we do. We come to Jesus with our needs, with our wants, with our desires, and we express them in humility. We trust that God knows what is best for us. So you see the difference in posture here. One is entitled, uh, coming to God with a list of demands and expectations about what we think our life should look like. And the other is one of humility, coming to God, uh, sharing and asking boldly of what we want, what we need, what we desire, but all the while uh, posturing ourselves in humility to receive whatever God wants to do in the ways that God wants to do it. I think we see this uh, really clearly in Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's crucified. When he says, God, please take this cup from me. In other words, don't, don't let me go through this. I, I don't want to do this. But you remember how he ends that prayer? He says, not my will, but what? Your will be done. So you see this posture in Jesus, one of humility. So that's the observation number one, um, that Jesus wants to restore us, each of us, holistically, but it doesn't always happen how we think it will, so we come to him in humility. So the second observation Uh, It's kind of what God wants to do with us, what God wants to do through us, and that's this. Jesus wants to use us to meet the needs of others. That's the second observation we'll look at. Jesus wants to use us to meet the needs of others. So I love in the next chapter of Matthew, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples and apostles to, to go do the same things that he's been doing. So listen to this in chapter 10. It says, and Jesus sent them out and proclaim as you go, So there's proclamation, there's speaking. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. So Jesus is inviting his disciples to do the exact same thing that he had been doing. To take care of people holistically. Preach the gospel, proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick, provide for the needy. I think we see that as something that Jesus is calling us to do as well. So we looked at um, about a month ago how uh, the church, the the people of God, the people who believe in Jesus are called the body of Christ. Um, So now that Jesus has gone, Jesus has ascended back to heaven, God has put his Holy Spirit inside of us that believe. And now we are the physical body of Jesus on the earth. That's what the Bible teaches us. So in the same way that while Jesus was on the earth, He was constantly seeking to meet people's needs, spiritually, physically, relationally, emotionally. Jesus was holistic in his care for people. Um, In the same way, we are now the body of Jesus in the world, moving and acting and participating with God to be the conduit of that healing to the world. That's what God is calling us to be. That is the gospel, what God is calling us to live out. So taking care of people physically, uh, whether it's um, taking care of the sick um, caring for those that, are, uh, that have illnesses, whether it's praying for people that are sick, um, loving and caring for financially and relationally those that are experiencing homelessness, whatever it is, that is the gospel. That is what Jesus did. Um, and in the same way, when we care for spiritual needs, when we encourage each other, when we love on each other and encourage each other in God, um, that is also part of what God is calling us to do. It's not just one or the other. It's not either extreme, it's both. 
So as a church, we try and do this. Uh, we are not perfect at this, but um, if you remember, if y'all were with us on uh, the week after Easter, remember we canceled our worship gatherings. We went out into the city. We said, okay, we want to love people holistically. So we're going to do prayer walks across our community. We're going to pray and try and care for spiritual need. And then we're also going to paint in the school up here at Aiken Elementary. We're going to try and take care of some physical needs they have, stocking their food pantry. We're going to provide a relational place for families to have fun and connect with their kids. Like we're trying to take care of needs. And individually, I hope that we're growing in this as well. And we're going to look at this over the next few weeks, over the, ne- over the coming weeks, about how we can do this more fully. But um, individually, this can look a ton of ways, like we just talked about. Developing friendship with someone experiencing homelessness. Moving beyond just that material help. It can be caring for people when they're sick. Sitting and mourning with people that go through difficult life experiences and situations. Loving and caring for those with physical disabilities. This is what God is calling us to do. Physical, spiritual, emotional. We are called to be the gospel. The hands and feet of Jesus. Just like he was 2,000 years ago on the earth. We are now his body. Moving and acting in the world. And as we do this, I think we really need to keep in mind a couple things. So um, I want to give you two really simple truths. As we meet needs, keep, keep this in mind. So number one, depend on the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing we got to keep in mind. Depend on the Holy Spirit. So I, it's so interesting that each moment that Jesus encounters, each situation and circumstance is so different. Sometimes Jesus meets only a spiritual need. Sometimes he presses on to a physical need. Sometimes it's both. Uh, So this is not every time you meet someone that has a need, uh, make sure you cover all the bases and check them all off. Like that's not what this is. This is be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that when you encounter someone in the world, in your community, at your job, at your school, um, that you know how God is wanting to use you, that you know how you are going to play a part as the body of Christ to meet a need, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, the eyes, the mouth, the ears of Jesus. Depend on the Holy Spirit. And the second thing is that we have to remember we are not superior. Um, sometimes I just am, I have the mindset that I'm privileged. Like I'm a white dude in Nashville, Tennessee, living in Brentwood. Like I kind of see the, see the world through those eyes. And that's so dangerous for me. I'm not superior to anyone who has a, a different need than I might have need. And I think that's really important for us in this context. We, have, we really have to remember this. Um, I was reading in Psalm 138 today that said Jesus, or that God is close to those that are brokenhearted in, in humble situations, and that he's far from the haughty or the proud, the, the prideful. It's like, man, that is a good word for me. Like, I have to be so careful not to feel superior to people. So when God uses us to meet people's needs, um, this cannot become like a complex where we're like, okay, we have what people need. In some, in some ways, that, that can be true, but it's like we have to see ourselves as equal with others, as other people, um, as image bearers of God with their own gifts, with their own talents, with their own abilities. Uh, one of my best friends always encourages me to not ask the question about what people lack, but ask the question, what could they offer to my community or to their community if they were relationally or um, physically restored to right relationship with others? kind of see them as like, what assets do they have? Like, how can I meet a need so that they can live into all of their God-given potential? And I think that's how we need to see people. So as we close and uh, take communion together, uh, I, I want to ask uh, a question for us and give us a prayer to pray this week. Uh, just a couple really simple things to bring it down to the ground. Like, how do we take this 
and, and not let it be, okay, just a Sunday morning thing, and then we go out into the week and forget about it. So um, I want to give you a tool, a prayer to pray this week. Um, a lot of times at Ethos, we talk about the arrows of our hearts. Maybe you've t- heard that language before where if the arrows of our hearts are inward, it's kind of a self-centered lifestyle, our needs, our desires, everything we want. Whereas if the arrows of our hearts are outward, we are caring about others, what they need, how Jesus wants to use us in the world. Uh, so that language is in this prayer. So here's the prayer. And I would encourage you to write this down on your phone or write this down on a piece of paper and take it with you. Um, here's the prayer. God, turn the arrows of my heart out toward the needs of others. Turn the arrows of my heart out toward the needs of others. I think the first step in, in uh, being the body of Christ in the world is being aware of how God wants us to move. I think the best way to be aware is, is just to pray for God to open our eyes. God, would you turn the arrows of my heart outwards towards the world? Uh, so set a reminder on your phone, uh, write it on a sticky note and put it on your bathroom mirror or on your dashboard in your car. Uh, let's, as a church, as a family this week, really pray that God would just turn our eyes outwards, turn the arrows of our heart outwards towards the world. As we go into communion, um, there's communion on the tables. And in just a moment, we're going to give you the opportunity to take five or eight minutes just to discuss what God is doing in your hearts, um, to take communion, remember who God is, remember what God has done through Jesus. And uh, if you um, need a question to talk about, I would encourage you to to ask this question to your table. Um, What are the spiritual and physical needs in my community? How can I take a step in meeting those needs? What are the spiritual and physical needs in my community, the areas that I go, my job, my friend group? What are the needs, and and how can I take a step in meeting those needs? And if there aren't needs, maybe I'm not around the right people. Maybe I'm not around the people that Jesus hung out with a lot. So uh, I would encourage you to, to, uh, in our time of communion, um, to wrestle with that question or to talk about something else that God is stirring in your heart. Um, if you want to be uh, talked or, or if you want to talk with or pray with someone, um, uh, Soloway will be in the back. He would love to um, just pray with you or talk about what God's doing on your heart. Feel free to grab communion if you want to and go outside um, in the muggy weather. <laughs> if you want to, go out on the porch and, and pray or talk with someone that you came with. Uh, but we're going to spend about five or eight minutes uh, just talking, and then Jared's going to come up. Um, and uh, at that time, he's going to lead us in two more songs of worship. And um, we'll ask y'all to stand up and, and sing with us. And if you're not finished with your conversation, you can go outside. You can keep talking. That's fine. But uh, we'll kind of close out our worship gathering with two songs of worship. We'd love for y'all to join us in that. So let me pray for us, and then we will uh, take some time in communion. God, um, we, we really want to imitate you in every single way. Uh, I don't always believe this, but I want to believe this more fully, that uh, living like Jesus is the most fulfilling and exciting and satisfying life that I could ever live. And I pray that for all of us in the room that you would help us uh, to grasp that, to believe that truth. Uh, You would push us today, God, in in the ways that uh, not only that we can open our lives up to to you, to meeting our needs, uh, but to being open to uh, you doing that in the ways that you want to do it, but also uh, to being pushed to uh, have eyes and ears that are pointed outward towards the world, that our hearts would be uh, consumed with being your body, your hands and your feet and, and speaking and encouraging and meeting needs in the world and in our communities. God, this week, would you open our eyes to the ways that we can be your body in the world. We love you, Jesus, and we ask uh, that you would uh, just be so present in this time as we talk. Holy Spirit, would you convict and challenge and move us? We love you, God. We ask this for your name. Amen.